This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. For me, mindfulness is an action. It's, it's, a, it's a moment to say or do something different. Uh, so it's not just about being present. It is about stop, stop, think, then do. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Del Marie Hamilton. She is an artist, writer, and curator. Welcome to our program. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. So we are meeting for the very first time, and first I want to ask you, just tell me about your work. My work? Ah, good question. (laughs) People always ask me what kind of work that uh, do I make, and it really just depends on the idea. But overall, the way that I try to quantify my work is by saying that I use the body to investigate questions about personal memory, citizenship, history, and gender. So those themes seem to be always kind of running through my work in one way or another. Um, But I do work across various mediums, so everything from performance art to writing and research to painting and photography and installation. And it really often um, has much to do with the site that I'm working with, or even, you know, just talking with other curators, sort of thinking through what could be a way to approach an idea or a space, or just kind of push the boundaries a little bit. So tell us about one example. One example of that. Yeah, so there's a piece that I have been performing for about the last three years. It's called Blues Blank Black, and it's a merger between folkloric traditions from Central America. So a folkloric figure called La Sucia, who's a bride, a jilted bride, uh, who refuses to take off her wedding dress. And that's merged with the work of Toni Morrison. And then throughout me sort of, you know, using dialogue, you know, sort of that I overheard from my parents as a little girl eavesdropping into their conversations, uh, I sort of then kind of have used Toni Morrison's work related to Beloved and the Bluest Eye. And I recite that, some of that language from those two books. And then in between those processes, I'm also invoking the names of Black women who've been killed by police. So women like Sandra Bland or Deborah Danner. Uh, So different kinds of stories of women who've experienced trauma and sort of are not here necessarily in the material world, but their memories, again, sort of personal memory and how they sort of still kind of radiate through um, our environment. And you do a lot of work really in developing a community of artists of color. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I'm always really focused on, particularly with curatorial projects. Um, I myself, I feel like I'm really, really lucky that I went to the right school. Um, So I studied at the School of Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts University. And I went there very specifically so that I could work with um, Marilyn Arsum, who's a pioneering experimental artist, and Magda Campos-Pons, who's an Afro-Cuban artist who works also across media. And by working with them and then kind of just modeling their behavior, they are also artists who really believe in other artists. They're artists' artists. And by doing that, I kind of just watch them build relationships with different kinds of artists across the spectrum. And so through doing that and watching them and modeling that behavior, I feel like I've been able to just really create a community that's supportive, but also to just transparent. You know, that is such an important thing you're doing because so often the work of an artist is solo. I mean, it's really very isolated. It's something you do by yourself. How how is your work enhanced by the community? By doing it. I think it's probably because I learn so much from listening to other artists and trying to figure their work out. Um, I 
did an event at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And it was a time to sort of think about counter mapping and different ways to be in a space like that particular museum and try to sort of flip the script a little bit. But in order to figure out that activity, I just I looked up work by Tricia Brown and Anna Mendieta and Heather Hansen and certainly as well Magda Campos Pons, how they use their body as for as an instrument for mark making. But again, it's always for me about, let's see what other artists are doing. What can they teach me? What can I learn? What can we laugh about? What can we argue about? You know, you spoke about some of the work you had done earlier, and particularly with reference to women of color who had been killed by police officers. And people who read my blog know that I spend an awful lot of time quoting John F. Kennedy's speeches because he was actually the first and so far only president that really spent a lot of time respecting the value and the role of the artist mm-hmm. in Absolutely. a democratic society. Right. And one of the things that he said is it's, it's really the role and responsibility of an artist to call out injustice because artists are very, very sensitive to injustice when they see it. And I think about how powerful an artist's revelation around injustice can be compared to just words. But how does that affect you as an artist? Hmm. I mean, just how do you manage through, through that, and manage your it. own um, angst. Yes. <laughs> well, oftentimes I am in my studio trying to figure things out. And in that particular way, there's work I make that doesn't ever see the light of day. I just need to make it so that I can get that stuff out of me. It just needs to go someplace else. But I found that by doing that and honoring my practice, that Oftentimes when I leave the studio, I'm walking a lot lighter. So there's there's very particular ways that I really focus on making or drawing or sometimes just dancing in my studio. That also helps quite a bit. But walking is another tool that I use for sort of clarity of mind. I'm not a really I'm not a meditator. Uh, my brain doesn't function in that way. I actually was diagnosed with ADHD when I was an adult, right uh, at the beginning of going to grad school. So stillness isn't a thing for me, but walking for whatever reason, I'm really sensitive to space and color and smell and touch. And walking is one of the ways that I sort of gain clarity of mind. Do you think artists spend enough time thinking about their own self-care as they're helping the rest of us understand the world, what's going on around us? Right. I will say that I definitely talk a lot about self-care with my friends um, and colleagues, but I'm not sure if everyone's able to actually do that for themselves. And I think it's because we're socialized, particularly once you get out of grad school or even sometimes undergrad, we're socialized to say yes to everything. And if you're an empath like I am, that's a double-edged sword. So you are sensitive to injustice and you're sensitive to other people's experiences, but because you're a sponge, some of that rubs off on you, right? And so what that means then is that you have to actually know how to say the word no, and that there's nothing to be ashamed about by saying the words no. I think that, again, this this notion about the, the fact that, yes, we're as artists, we're in the world and we're here to sort of enlighten the world, right? To sort of like flip it into a different context. The challenge with that is that you actually need to know what your own boundaries are, right? Because those are the only ways that you can continue to connect with yourself. So for me, yeah, the word no. 
<laughs> it's it, a hard one. It's a hard one, but and it may take me a lifetime to try to practice it and sort of really master it. But it it works. It works. And I have found that if I let a curator know, hey, I'm having trouble with this particular idea, I feel compromised and, you know, this isn't execute, executing my vision in the way that I want, they're usually like, okay, Del, let's let's figure something else out. So, yeah, I found that if people really want to work with you, they will figure out ways uh, to work with you and facilitate a process if they really want to see the work done, as well as also, again, paying attention to the artist's needs. So we're in a fairly toxic environment. And do you, how does that affect you as a working artist? That is really, I mean, part of what your work is, is to really enlighten and reveal injustice around us. And it feels like we are at a particular moment in our national history where mm. it is it is almost paralyzing. Yeah, it's definitely paralyzing. I'm also a junkie though. <laughs> so I have a I have difficulty turning some of the toxicity off. Partly because I think I'm both fascinated and repulsed by what's actually happening in the world. Um, there's something that Howard Dina Pendel said when she was uh here in Boston. At Brenda Rose. Yeah, exactly. And she talked about how, you know, Trump doesn't care about culture. So to some extent, we as artists are kind of free to just do whatever we like at the moment because he's clearly not interested (laughs) in cultural production. So that's, that's actually a good thing, right? But again, it's difficult to sort of, I think, wrap our minds around how we even got here. I think if you're someone like me who was born in the 80s and... Ronald Reagan was actually elected on my birthday. Yeah, you. I have a relationship to politics that comes through watching my dad watching the news, and I've sort of, you know, continue that as an adult. But it's it's difficult to wrap your mind around what exactly is happening. So we have all the images, we've got the Twitter feeds, we've got screenshots, we've got you know leaked emails and all these different questions. But it's. Yeah, it's still pretty difficult for me to really understand how we got here. And it's distressing. But again, this is where walking <laughs> comes into place. It, it, in a way, um, the artist has always been able to sort of strip away the, 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 the clouds and the shade that prevent us from seeing what's really going on. And it feels like it's an upside down world because... What's going on is being screamed at us. There's nothing to strip away. Exactly. You're right. There's no secrets anymore to really to speak of. And so, yeah, every now and then I'm able to turn off the TV, but not all the time. So it's it's pretty hard. It's hard. To, yeah, there's sometimes I kind of think maybe I don't really need to know the details of every single thing that that guy <laughs> is up to. Right. Because, again, there is a toxicity that comes with that. And at some point, yeah, I guess this question about no, right, and sort of building whatever is a safe space for yourself, thinking through some ways to do that. Um, One of the other tools I use is writing. So that's another way um, oftentimes for me to figure out what's happening with me. And I think also, too, as a trauma survivor, there's oftentimes there's things that are triggering my own feelings, and I'm not always exactly sure why, but I have figured that if, that if I write about it, that gives me language. And that language creates this kind of boundary or some sort of fence. And it's a framework, which then is like, oh, I can identify this. Now I know what's going on. I'm not a big fan of the unknown, as most human beings 
are, right? Like human beings have trouble with change, right? Mm -hmm. And I am no exception to that. And so often, yeah, writing is the way to sort of capture that thing on paper and then look at it like, okay, now I understand what this is. I can name it. Um, And then it doesn't feel as scary. It feels like walking, writing, saying no, these are strategies really not just for artists, but for everybody. Yeah, I agree. I think often, again, we're in this culture of like everything is coming at us so, so fast. Um, and it's difficult to keep up with these things. So you do have to be just mindful, right? I mean, we talk about mindfulness, um, but for me, mindfulness is an action. It's, it's, a, it's a moment to say or do something different. Uh, so it's not just about being present. It is about stop, stop, think than do. So as an artist who is um, creating work in this toxic time, when you speak to an audience or when you're speaking to people who will be watching and observing and taking in your work, the injustice is fairly apparent, at least a lot of it that is being screamed at us. Sure. So what are you trying to communicate? That's a good question. I struggle with this as well all the time because I'm not always so good at answers. I have tons of questions. But I think more than anything, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that we're in this moment together, whether we want to be or not. This this thing, this project called America, like we built it. Here, you know, each of us individually, we all have something to contribute to it, both toxicity as well as beauty and enlightenment, right? And so I started thinking about like, hmm, maybe chaos is what we need. Maybe chaos is exactly the antidote to keep us from being complacent or just taking in all the toxicity and then not thinking about what its impact is. Delmarie Hamilton, an artist, writer, curator, and one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.